What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod again, and we're going to talk about Wisconsin with our Big Ten previews as we continue our way through the Big Ten. Uh, Wisconsin's going to come in at number eight for, for Rod's predictions. Uh, also, I'd like to remind you that there we are having the predict, predict the Big Ten standings contest. You can win a logo t-shirt through the Final Four is not on the schedule. All you have to do is email us at tffinots at gmail.com. Put your selections, numbers one through 14, your name. And then, obviously, uh, make sure that you have your email address attached. You can also make an appearance on our show later. So, let's talk about Wisconsin, Rod. Last season, they had a surprisingly good season, right? One we were not expecting. They were 25-8 and eight overall, 15-5 and five in the Big Ten. They lost in the second round of the NCAA tournament to Iowa State. They were number 37 in Ken Palm, number 62 in offense, number 34 in defense. On offense... They were great because they never turned the ball over. They're number two in turnover percentage because they did not shoot well. They're number 310 in the three-point percentage and number 215 in twos. They're a good defensive rebounding team at number 44 and and their free throw defense, which I always joke about with my kids. Uh, so they were number 32. Uh, they were number 150 in two-point percentage against. They won a lot of close games. They had a player who was unexpectedly took a huge leap. Johnny Davis was a good player, expected to be much better, and he became you know what first round, uh, first round NBA draft pick. And so, Greg Gard brought this Wisconsin team to a level that we kind of become accustomed to from Wisconsin teams, although just not with that we just weren't expecting last year because of how strong the Big Ten was, and how it just didn't seem like it would be quite as good, <laughs> but. He obviously had the parts that made up for that, the deficits we thought they had. But yeah, let, let's reframe it a bit. So in 2020, Wisconsin surprised by getting out. Now, if we go back to, it was either December or January, their best player at that time, a guy named Kobe King, who's a wing, quits the team and they're struggling. He quits the team and there's stories about um, dissension yeah, dysfunction in the ranks. Yeah. There, there was a right. There was a disconnect between the coaching staff and some of the players. Um, in fact, there was even concern. I remember at the time from Wisconsin fans, I remember reading this, that they might lose the commitments of the Davis twins because of it, because part of the story was, Oh, they don't relate well to players from urban backgrounds. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was the story. 
Kobe King, their leading scorer, quits. There's all this talk. And, and what Wisconsin does is something that is so vintage Wisconsin, at least what they've been the last, say, 20, 25 years. They go on an incredible run, and they end up tying for the Big Ten title along with Maryland and Michigan State. We'll never know what they would have done in March. I, I don't suspect they would have been a Final Four team, but they pretty much maxed out their potential. You know, and they had all those guys coming back. So the thought was the next season, you know, 2020, 21, the COVID year, that they would be the best team in the Big Ten, or they'd at least be a co-favorite to win it. And with all their experience, you know, they had tons of fourth year guys. Um, it was all seniors that they would be, you know, the odds on favorite to, to do the job in the big 10. Yeah. They had one of the oldest teams they in the big 10, right? Weren't they? <laughs> right. 24? They weren't terrible, but they were very disappointing. I think it's fair to label them as disappointing. And then we have the same stories again about dissension. A lot of people thought because of the COVID rules, that Wisconsin would bring all those guys back because they all had the ability to get yet another year. And so they'd be a team filled with fifth-year guys. But as it turned out, the only one who took them up on that was Brad Davison. Everybody else left, and the story was they left in part because they didn't love Greg Gard. So you go into next, you know, last season now. We're caught up. They've lost four-fifths of the starting lineup. Davison's the only one back. They also have Johnny Davis who forced his way into the rotation with an experienced team as a freshman and was very good. But, you know, we're talking about a guy who's, I don't know what he was, a seven, eight point a night guy, I think is a freshman. Mm -hmm. So I expected him to take a leap, but then what else do they have? Well, they don't have a lot, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so I made the mistake, which I've made a couple of other times, not often, but a couple of other times over the last couple decades where I've looked at Wisconsin on paper and said, I just don't see it. And I thought they would really struggle to make the NCAA tournament. And if they did, it would be borderline. You know, I'm, I'm going to say that I think I still think I got a lot closer to being right with that than you might believe. Because if you look at what Wisconsin actually was, when you look at the various statistical categories and you see how they stack up, there's no way in hell that team should have been 15 and five in the league. Yeah. No way. Right, right. They were not that good. They were the epitome of a team doing it with mirrors, smoke and mirrors. I, one thing that certainly helped is that Johnny Davis became an elite player. You know, I thought he would take a big step up. I didn't see him going to the level where he was a threat to be conference and even national player of the year at one point and ended up being picked 10th in the draft by the Washington Wizards. I didn't see that coming. So that certainly helped. Then there were the biggest thing I think to me was, and you mentioned it, free throw defense, we'll call it. Um <laughs> That's obviously a joke because there is no defense for free throws. But when your opponents shoot miserably from the line, that gives you a big advantage. And it definitely falls into the luck category because you didn't have anything to do with it. Your opponents just failed to shoot well and take advantage of opportunities for free points. And that 
when you consider that Wisconsin played 15 games last year of where the margin of victory was five points or less, and they won 12 of them. Okay. You can, you can make one of two arguments and I'm not an absolutist in either category, but you can try to make the argument that it's a sign of a winner that they know how to win close games. Mm-hmm. Or you could say that a lot of that is, is noise and it's really luck. And I think the, the opponent free throw shooting in games that were that close probably had a lot to do with why they ended up on the right side of 80% of those games. Sure. Right. I don't think that's an unreasonable conclusion to draw. Um, so I think the bottom line is this was not a great team. They had a great record, but this was not a great team, but you know, look, I can go through all that stuff and it really doesn't matter at the end of the day, because the way we evaluate teams correctly is, did you win or lose the game? And then how many of those fell into the column on the left hand side and how many on the right hand side and Wisconsin showed up well where it mattered. Now, I think as we go into this year, they once again lose a lot. They lose their two leading scorers from a team that wasn't very good offensively to begin with. How do they respond to that? Is this another occasion where by picking them eighth, I've underestimated them and I'm going to get bitten? (laughs) We'll see. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to be a little nervous picking them eighth, right? Because you... (laughs) <laughs> because yeah, they, because that, they just find a way to sort of, they in some ways remind me of Northwestern football, where you just don't think that the team's very good yet they they t- manage to find ways to win. Yep, I would I would agree with that. Uh, you know, you do get nervous picking them this low because the history is such that um, you know they've overperformed when expectations were not their highest at times. On the flip side of it, I do think. I like Greg Gard as a coach. I mean, I think his track record is pretty solid, but he's not Bo Ryan. Right. If this was Bo Ryan, I'd be terrified. <laughs> I'm just mildly nervous <laughs> with this one. There is a difference. Well, it wasn't that long ago that Greg Gard, I mean, there was talk of him being replaced. It's not like he's that secure there, right? Two or three times in his tenure, and his tenure is not that old. What is he? He's probably working on seven, eight year years? seven or eight, yeah, I, right. think. That's yeah. I think. Yeah. He, two or three different times, it has seemed like he's on the ropes. You know, it's it's one thing, I would say this it's one thing to play a less than aesthetically pleasing style of basketball if um if you're winning the way Bo Ryan did. I think fans mostly can accept that. Okay, slow pace. We just basically look to not make mistakes. We never beat ourselves, but we're not that entertaining to watch. Um, We don't tend to land a lot of high-caliber athletes. Um, We don't run. You know, we don't score a lot of points, all of those things. But Bo Ryan won at such a great clip that, you know, especially at a school which prior to him just had not had a lot of basketball success. People accepted that. Greg Gard doesn't, he hasn't achieved at quite that level. Now, he's done some good things. He's had a couple of teams. I think he's won two Big Ten championships. He's won at least the one. Um, so it's not as if he's done nothing, but he's also had more down years. I don't think, I'd have to go back to refresh my memory, 
I don't think Bo Ryan ever finished outside of the top four in the Big Ten. And I know guard has. So that's a difference. Guard has not yet had a great March run. Bo Ryan, it took him a while to get there, but he eventually did later in his career and had a couple of Final Four teams. You know, it's and guards teams play not exactly the same style, but pretty close. I think it's different. I think it's different when you're not the guy who wins big every year and who kind of changed the trajectory and the expectations of the program. You're the successor to that, and you're not as good. You haven't won at quite the same clip. It's most other places would love to have a guy who's had the success that Greg Gard has had. But I feel as if it's partially been that, that he's not Bo Ryan, that puts him on the edge. And then it's these stories about player dissension. You know, he's responded well every time those have come up and he's, he's figured it out and they've had good years. But I, you wonder you wonder if that stuff is going to continue to resurface and eventually it'll get him. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say. And, and when, once the bar has been reset, that's just where the bar is. And so you have to, you have to meet those new expectations. The fan base has a different idea because obviously when we were younger, I mean, Wisconsin was, I I don't even know if you'd call them an afterthought in basketball. I don't think they ever really had any success. Wisconsin and Northwestern were at the bottom every single year. They were the only two schools in the seventies and eighties and even through a decent part of the nineties, they were the only two schools that just never had a cycle up kind of year. Everybody else had their moments over those, you know, say 20, 25 years. Those two never did. Right. And, and that even goes for football too, right? Like, I mean, before Bayer Alvarez, there was nothing there too. Right. Football got on track a little bit earlier, but you know, Um, I mean, Wisconsin first started getting there with Dick Bennett and then Ryan obviously took it up to another level entirely, but yeah, you're right. The, the bar has been reset because they had that level of success sustained long enough that it starts to become the expectation. I would also say this, and then we can, we can move on. Uh, I think part of it, if I were a fan of that program, I could understand feeling, you know, Hey, I've had 30 years going back to Dick Bennett, 30 years of essentially aesthetically displeasing basketball. (laughs) Yeah. I, I might feel like I wanted to see a change, you know, and that, that shouldn't override the ultimate desire being winning. You want to win. But if you, if you're, if you've got a coach, who's not winning at the clip that Ryan did, for example, I think it starts to get a lot easier eventually to just say, you know what? I just like to see a different approach. Sure. Yeah. If your product is not something that's appealing to the eye, you have to be winning. And if you're not, cause right. that, I mean, it's just like, you know, no matter how many scandals you have in your program, if you have, if you're a winning program, you can excuse a lot of those away, but just like exactly. we talked with Pat Chambers of Penn state, right? Had he been winning at a big yep. clip, he'd still be the coach, but he, but those, those things would not, they just didn't want to deal with him because there was not that, you know, he was not having the success that you'd hope. Yep. It's the difference between what happened to Pat chambers. And although they're different kinds of issues, why a guy like bill self just is <laughs> coated with Teflon, right. you know? Yeah. Well, the, that, those teeth that, I mean, that smiles infectious. Uh, let's talk about the leading players. Obviously the, the one to talk about is Johnny Davis. 
Six-five sophomore wing, made a huge leap to his in his sophomore year, became a top ten pick in the NBA. He averaged nineteen point seven points a game, eight point two rebounds per game, super athletic, third in assists on the team. He shot forty three, thirty one, seventy nine. Uh, so it you know the only thing that I think he didn't really have great was his obviously his three point shooting was okay, but that was the that's the one downside I suppose for him. He struggled as the year went on. He was better early. And then that that sort of declined on him toward the end of the season. So there were points in the year where he was a better deep shooter than that. But yeah, it he was so strong. He was athletic enough. And I think as much as anything else, he just had a great understanding of how to get his shot when he needed it, um, that it didn't matter so much. He was still going to be able to go out and get his points. And keep in mind, he was doing all of that with defenses really tilted toward him because Wisconsin shot the ball so miserably that you really had to just load up on Johnny Davis to some extent Davison, but really Johnny Davis. And if you could contain him, that was going to be a a big part of the answer to beating them. Yeah. I was going to say the defense that despite all the defensive focus, he still was able to be so successful because there was, again, like I said, there were very few offensive options for him. And such a versatile guy. I mean, to lead them in rebounding, uh, he was a decent playmaker, decent defender. I mean, he just checked all the boxes. Yeah, of the three players who left, who you think of, you think of Ivy and Davis and Keegan Murray. I mean, I still think Keegan Murray probably will have a better career, but I would say Davis might be your number two, and then maybe Ivy's three. But I, you know, I don't. We'll just time will tell. I think that's. I'm gonna I'm gonna differ with okay. that in in. In part because I really believe it, and in part because I'm a Pistons fan. Um, <laughs> Jaden, I, but I, but I said this last year, so I don't think I'm really changing horses in this. Jaden Ivey to me is the guy with the most upside of those three by far, by a significant gap, because he's a truly elite athlete, um, and I see in him the potential to be. And I'm not saying he's going to be this level of player necessarily. But I see bits of the things that have made guys like Russell Westbrook and Derrick Rose and um, uh, why am I drawing a blank? The kid at Memphis, John Morant, those guys who just they are so athletic with the ball in their hands and they just look like they're constantly playing downhill. That is Jaden Ivey. I do not think that Johnny Davis or Keegan Murray possess that kind of horsepower. Uh, I just don't see it. I think. I would put Johnny Davis number three. I think that I think Murray, uh, from what I gather, played very well over the summer for Sacramento, and they think they got something with him. And I know the Pistons are thrilled with Jaden Ivey. Um, so I, I just think I think I think Johnny Davis has the least potential because he's not nearly as athletic or the ball handler that Jaden Ivey is and can be. Um, he's smaller than Keegan. Keegan Murray, you know, Keegan Murray's got two or three inches on him. So that helps. Right. Um, but who knows? He may still end up being a very good pro. I just don't think he's going to be as good as those guys. It's very interesting too, because I don't think really anybody had any three of those in the top 10, like in the, in the other before the season, before no. the season, right. It's a, they it's were, remarkable. All three of them were guys that you could see coming. They were going to be much better than they were as freshmen. You know, Jaden Ivey had had an incredible summer. He played for a, a USA basketball national age group team and had an incredible summer. You could see both Keegan Murray 
and Johnny Davis forced their way into the rotations of teams that were very experienced when they were freshmen and they were good. You know, it was similar in a way to, oh, let's say what Draymond Green did or what Xavier Tillman did at Michigan State when they were freshmen, where they were playing on deep, talented teams. And yet against all seeming odds, they still forced their way into the playing group. You know, so you could I, I thought all three of those guys were going to be much better than they had been as freshmen in terms of productivity. Um, but no, I don't think anybody saw coming, at least for Keegan Murray and Johnny Davis. I didn't see it the seasons they had coming. Ivy was maybe a little less surprising to me because I thought Purdue was going to be so good. Right. Give them opportunities to shine a little bit and not quite as much focus. Well, OK, so the next player leaving everyone's favorite player. And I'll shout out to my wife, Marcy, her, her least favorite player, Brad Davison, uh, 6'4 guard, 12-year senior. Uh, his career came to an end. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he would occasionally accidentally hit people in the crotch uh, multiple times going around screens. And uh, I don't know. I mean, just what more can you say except that he's just a guy that you can't, you can't be happier that he's gone. He averaged four, 14 points a game in his career, shot 38, 35, and 86. And he actually was pretty good last year. I think better than he'd been in his previous part of his career. Like he's, I think he lived up a little bit more to what he was, what it looked like he was going to be as a freshman. I know he dealt with some injuries and stuff, but I seem, I feel like last year, you know, his whatever his eighth, ninth year in the in the Big Ten, that he actually looked like the player you thought he could become. I, I agree with that. You know, I thought Brad Davison as a freshman. If people remember he had to play point guard because it was a team that got really hurt with injuries and they were not very good. It was, I think it was guards worst team in Madison. They were seven and 11 that season, ninth in the big 10. Right. And Brad Davison was tough and he looked the part. I mean, I thought, you know, Wisconsin that the year after year after year, you know, you'd have guys that maybe weren't great as freshmen might've even red shirted. And then by the time they were juniors, they were just incredibly hard to play against. And I just thought Brad Davison was going to be a supersized version of that because he was already a factor as a freshman. And then, yeah, the next three years, he wasn't bad. And he was a key guy for them, but he never went up to that next level. And then last year, I thought he got closer to that. He still didn't become what I thought he might be when he was a freshman, but he had a good year and they needed him to be that good. Uh, you know, the, the ironic thing about what you were talking about, uh, you know, and I agree, obviously, most Big Ten fan bases are thrilled to have him gone. Um, but the ironic thing is, I don't remember there ever being a single incident with Michigan State. And I noticed that uh, after the two games last year, uh, each team won on the other's home court, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um there was a lot of obvious mutual respect between Michigan State's players and Davison. I, I know that Davison is the kind of guy that I think Tom Izzo would like because he had a football background. He was, you know, played tough, all of those things. I don't think Izzo would have tolerated the hijinks, but I don't think he would have done that stuff if he'd been in East Lansing. So I, I guess my point is because he didn't seem to do that stuff against MSU, uh, there seemed to be a respect level that you didn't see from every program in the league, but yeah, everybody in the conference is going to be rejoicing that he's gone. Yeah. None more so than, than Connor McCaffrey, who took a real blow 
one of those yeah. screens. Uh, yeah, and I feel like it, he's a guy whose legacy was really tarnished by him with probably he didn't play dirty much, but he did just enough, just enough, just kind of non-basketball, just kind of stupid plays and just kind of well, dumb things like tripping play, just that are just like give him a slight advantage because maybe he's not athletic enough or whatever, but he didn't need to do those things. And he still would, I think it would have been much more respected by other fan bases. And I don't know, I mean, maybe he doesn't care, but it's just, irritating. no, I, 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 I agree with that. Um, I think that, uh, he didn't have to do those things and, you know, and sometimes it really did hurt him. I don't know if you remember, there was a period in time where, uh, he had gotten such a reputation as a flopper yes. that he stopped getting charge calls, even ones that would have been legitimate. Yeah. yeah just yeah. the officials were just not going to give him a charge call because his rep was so bad. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard, uh, it's a hard one for me to, to fully suss out how I feel. I completely understand why people come to the conclusions they do about him. And I would never, um, fault anyone for feeling like he was a thug and a punk who, you know, it was a good thing that he's out of the league. I get it. But um, because he didn't seem to do that stuff against MSU, I don't have the same visceral reaction. <laughs> you know, like to me, for me, Hunter Dickinson is massively more hateable <laughs> yeah. than Brad Davison was. And Hunter Dickinson has never cheap shot at anybody to my knowledge, but he's just a, he's an oaf yeah. and a mouthy oaf at that. And he plays for Michigan, you know, for me, Brad Davison, he's never had that kind of moment against MSU. You know, it's probably different for an Iowa fan because there's a, there's more of a, an inherent dislike in the rivalry. Yeah. And, um, and, and there have been incidents that happened, whereas with MSU, it never quite came to that. Yeah. And it, it said in his defense, he was never like Grayson Allen. He was not a, a someone who's routinely dirty, like all the time, but uh, and again, Oh, he was close. He had enough. He certainly had enough moments that I don't know that there's a huge difference, but, but yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah. You just watch some of those things. Grayson Allen's even doing the NBA where he's like just taking people down who going for layups and stuff is a hard foul. So just yeah. kind of ridiculous. Uh, so we'll go on to Chris vote. He was a seven foot transfer from Cincinnati. He came in as a big body to help uh, shore up the interior. He played 13 minutes a game, averaged 2.9 points a game, and 3.1 rebounds per game, and led the team in blocks. Yeah, you know, you bring in a guy like that, and you hope that you're going to get the best possible version of that or even more. Um, But the point was, Wisconsin was essentially starting over on the interior, and so they felt justifiably so that they needed a veteran guy who had done something at the high major or near high major level. And they brought him in from Cincinnati and he was okay. You know, he provided some minutes, gave them some physicality that maybe they didn't get from their other candidates at the five, um, but not a huge role to replace in the end, you know? So let's go on to returning players. We've got Tyler wall, six, seven senior, Injured a lot, but still did really well last year. He definitely came around. He's averaged 11.4 points a game, 5.9 rebounds a game, was a starting four, shot 52, 16, and 70. And he's also a very good defensive player, and I think just a solid player outside of his outside shooting. Well, he is, you know, Wisconsin is one of these programs that 
they seem to have these models that they just find guys <laughs> to fit into over and over and over again. And sometimes they're just a slightly different than the previous model, but similar enough that you see the pattern. Wall is a classic Wisconsin player. A guy was lightly recruited. Um, he might have even been a walk, a preferred walk-on to start with. I can't recall, but lightly recruited. And he just steadily has gotten better. And now, heading into his senior year, is at the point where he's a legitimately solid, better than solid, a legitimately good player. He's he's only 6'7", but he has that stereotypical, clever, efficient Wisconsin post game. You know, if you watched him last year, he doesn't look like he should be able to get a lot done on the blocks, but he does because he has a good understanding of angles of space and he finishes. Um, he's a decent defender, good rebounder. The, the one missing piece, which many Wisconsin players who have filled a similar role have figured out he hasn't yet is deep shooting. Uh, 16% from three, just you need more than that to really max out productivity at at the four. And he has thus far been unable to give that to them. Given that he's a senior, I don't know that I expect a great leap forward to happen, but you know, hope springs eternal, I suppose, in Madison, (laughs) Uh, but I don't expect it. Nevertheless, he's a very effective player for them. They'll certainly be leaning on him a little more. I don't know that I would be concerned if Tyler Wall ends up as definitively my number one offensive option, but it might be that way this year. Um, And that's part of the reason I only have this team eighth is I look at that team offensively and I wonder much as we talked about with Rutgers in the last episode, where does the offense come from? You know, Tyler Wall would be on a really good team would be a really nice guy to have as your number three, your number four option. If he's got to be your number one, I'm a little hesitant to predict a ton of success for you, but you know, a good player that, that, that bit is not a failure on his part. He is what he is and he's made himself to a very good player. I just don't know if I believe if, if he's your top guy, if that's a good thing. Right. So let's go into Chucky Hepburn. He's a six, one sophomore. He led the team in assists and averaged 7.9 points a game on 39, 35, and 70 uh, during shooting during his freshman year. I thought he was pretty good. I mean, he really definitely came up, came on at the end of the season, and he looks like a guy who's going to be comfortable in the point guard position and someone who's going to be a valuable asset for them. Yeah, he shot, I believe he shot uh, 44% from three over his last eight games. Yeah. So he got better offensively. I will admit to being a skeptic. I, I was not impressed early on. He didn't have, he was a decently rated recruit, but was not an obvious impact guy. And there was a lot of hype around him coming out of Madison. And I just was skeptical. I was not a believer. And early on last year watching him, I was not a believer, but boy, the shot started to fall. And then the other things, the, the kind of typical Wisconsin unspectacular, but also mistake-free point guard play started to show up as well. I think he could be pretty decent defensively. He seems to have some leadership in him. Um, we'll see where he can go. I mean, I 
again, I don't know that I expect uh, a major, major step forward as an offensive player. I think he could take a little bit of a step, but can he go from being a seven point a night guy to 17 a night? I think that's probably a bit much. Next will be Stephen Kroll, a seven-foot junior. He averaged 8.8 points a game, 4.4 rebounds a game in about 25 minutes. He shot 50, 32, and 80. And he's he definitely looks more like the prototypical big man at Wisconsin yeah. who can you know, step out and hit the three at semi-reliable rates. Bingo. They've had a million guys like this, you know, and and he's the latest model. And it was a big deal for their team last year. It was key that he came on because as a freshman, he wasn't very good. And so they needed somebody to step up at the five. And it's not like he was an all American, but he had pretty good numbers. And I think more importantly for the future shows the potential to continue to get better. I will not be surprised. You know, when when I look at wall and I look at Hepburn, uh, yeah, they can improve and their scoring averages probably will go up, but, of their big three, so to speak, the three returning starters, Kroll is the one that, at least to me, has the most room for upward mobility. If he can just dial in a little more consistency with the jumper and watching him play, I think he might have it in him. Um, I could see him going from being an eight-point-a-night guy to 15. You know, I could imagine that. It's not impossible to see it. And that would be a big positive for Wisconsin. Next, we'll go on to Jordan Davis. He's a 6'4 sophomore. He's a twin brother of Johnny Davis, who just got drafted in the NBA. But he's the less than Davis brother by quite a bit. He only averaged 1.3 points a game in about six minutes a game. He shot 33, 29, and 33 in limited use. And uh, he's, as far as you look at identical twins, you have the Murray brothers at Iowa and you've got the Davis brothers at, at Wisconsin. The, the Murray brothers are much closer in in skill level than I think the Davis brothers, but I guess you wonder if he's got it in him, but he's just a couple years behind in development, right? Well, I think what's inarguable is they're much closer in terms of production. And we were talking about this before we started recording, you know, with, uh, with Chris Murray, Chris Murray had much more production in general than Jordan Davis did. And he also had a couple of very big games where he showed you, oh, he really does have the potential, maybe not to be what Keegan was, but to be a really good offensive player. Like he's a guy who you're not going to be surprised as a double digit scorer this year for Iowa, right? right? right yeah. If that happens with Jordan Davis, I think the jury is out to a much greater extent. Uh, Wisconsin, and we'll reference this in a couple more of the players discussions wisconsin took a uh, trip to france this summer so they got an opportunity to play with some of their new guys and guys stepping into different roles etc jordan davis was starting for them over there now i didn't read raves but the word was that he was pretty solid and it didn't sound like he did anything to hurt his chances of competing for a starting role next season what if he's in that role what he's capable of doing I think, again, a lot of question marks. It's hard to know. Um, I don't expect him to to become what Johnny was, and I don't think Greg Gard does either, most likely. I think they would take, you know, six, seven points a game, steady defense, smart play, not making a bunch of mistakes, maybe help him out with some wing rebounding a little bit. Those are things they would they would feel pretty good about. Then we'll talk about Ben Carlson. He's a 6'9 junior. 
he provides some depth at the uh, some post spots for the Wisconsin. He averaged 1.6 points a game, two rebounds a game, and about nine minutes. So couldn't shoot the ball very well. And I guess, you know, the question is, does that get better? And does he have find a bigger role this season? He and Kroll were part of the same class. And they were, you know, Kroll's three inches taller, but they were, they were described very similarly as recruits, both big guys who Wisconsin staff thought had the potential to develop into stereotypical badger big men, you know, guys who could stretch the floor and especially as time went on, they got a little stronger, could also do some damage inside. Well, Kroll has started to make good on that. Carlson really hasn't yet. And I think he's got a leg up, you know, the first big off the bench role for Wisconsin Mm -hmm. because he does have experience, but there's competition now as we'll talk about. And so he is going to have to be better. I think to hold on to that role. So then we'll talk about Jacoby Neath. He's a 6'4 senior wing. He transferred in from Wake Forest. Uh, he averaged 1.6 points a game in about 10 minutes a game. He shot 26, 22, and 73. Yeah, again, you know, has experience. He's been in the system now for a year. He's got decent size on the wing, decent athlete, decent defender, but the offensive numbers are not very good. So that, I think what that all adds up to is, would you say he has an edge in retaining a rotation role off the bench for Wisconsin? Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say, but it's not a substantial edge. He hasn't done enough to where it's an obvious call, and I think he's vulnerable to maybe being passed by. We'll see. But right now you'd give him an edge to at least play some minutes. Next would be Carter Gilmore, six seven sophomore forward. He averaged eight minutes a game. Uh, played 27 games, but only <clears throat> averaged half, uh, less than a point a game and one rebound a game, shooting 26 and 8% for three and 57% from the line. You know, uh, kind of, I remember talking about him last year and thinking, okay, this might be the next guy after Tyler Wall, who's, you know, kind of the lightly recruited guy, but develops, you know, plays tough and is a try hard guy early and then develops enough skill that later that he becomes a factor, but he really had a tough year offensively and he played in a lot of games, not huge minutes, but he played consistently in games. I think that's in jeopardy too, as there's increased competition. You know, the, the thing to talk about here, keep in mind as we talk about all these guys, um, Greg guard does play a larger rotation than Bo Ryan did. Bo Ryan was notorious. I mean, he'd usually maybe go seven deep and that would be it. Guard will, will go a little bit deeper, but not a lot. And so it's not like we're talking about, hey, there's 11 playing time slots available. You know, this isn't this isn't going to be a deal like it is sometimes at Michigan State where Izzo really will legitimately play 11 guys. Um, that's not likely to happen in Madison. So some of these guys who weren't tremendously productive last year, I think as they've got new faces in who seem to have some potential – they might be in jeopardy of losing those roles. So then we'll go to Marcus Ilver, a 6'8 sophomore. He played a little bit last year. He only got in eight games from Estonia. Uh, and I don't know, I guess he had he looked like apparently pretty good in France. That's This is one of the guys I'm talking about. Guard. I read Guard's comments about a lot of these guys on the French trip, and he was a guy that he was very impressed by because he's got a skill set offensively, He showed some toughness. He rebounded, seems to maybe be starting to get it defensively. 
So if you're a Carter Gilmore or you're a Ben Carlson who played maybe, you know, not like they either of them played 20 minutes a night, but you were in most games, you got a turn or two in most games. This is a guy you've got to worry about because if he's more productive and he's starting to get, get it defensively, well, you might have a problem if you don't produce. Absolutely. Uh, finally, for returning players, Isaac Lindsay, 6'4 guard, played just a little bit. Yeah, he's a Wisconsin native, started his career out at UNLV, but never played there, then transferred back. Um, I think he's up against it. Uh, I didn't see much commentary about his play in France, whereas I did see it for some other guys. So that makes me wonder. Um, and he didn't play much last year. So, And, and then I, again, reiterate, it's not like they're likely to play 10 or 11 guys on the regular. So he might have trouble. Yeah. So let's talk about the new players in the, the Badger team. First, we'll go Max Klesmit. He's a 6'3 transfer from Wofford. He started at for Wisconsin Davidson's old spot in the trip to France. He averaged 15 points a game last season and shot 34% from three. This is a kid to watch. He also started in France. And in reading guards commentary about him, he liked uh, the toughness he played with. Um, just felt that he gets it as a guy, even though it's not been in Wisconsin system, a guy who's experienced in college basketball, understands how to play decent shooter. Wasn't a knockdown shooter, but decent. If he could replicate his numbers from Wofford, that would, that would be a big positive uh, for Wisconsin. Cause they, again, They've got to replace two guys who scored a lot of points for them. Now, he's not in Johnny Davis's role, but he can play Brad Davis's role. Can he play it as effectively? Uh, it's an open question. Um, but they're going to hope that he does. And I think he certainly seems to have the inside track to be a guy starting at that spot on the wing. Next is Kamari McGee, a six-foot sophomore transfer from uh, UW-Green Bay. He averaged 11.6 points a game and 1.9 assists per game. It was a Horizon League freshman of the year. Yeah, so another backcourt guy. This is why I say guys like Isaac Lindsay, guys like Jacoby Neath, they've got to worry because they've brought in a couple of transfers that were very productive at, at the Division One level last year. And and this this kid is a little bit different than anybody else they have. The nice thing is it gives Wisconsin um, – you know, we didn't, I don't think we mentioned him for some reason um, in the players gone, but, you know, there was another guy they had named Lauren Bowman, who um, is a, from the Detroit area. And uh, he was kind of their default backup point guard last year. Well, they don't have him anymore. So this kid is coming into that role and I think might be good enough. They seem to be confident enough in him that, they may be able to get Chucky Hepburn a little more of a blow. Chucky Hepburn played 31 minutes a game as a freshman. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a big role for a freshman. And it's a big role for your point guard. And I think, you know, I would imagine Greg Gard would feel pretty good if he could get that down to 27 or 28. This kid might be the guy to help them do that. And again, it also might mean fewer opportunities for some of these other guards that were on the roster last year but didn't produce at a high level. Next is Connor Sejan, a 6'4 freshman guard from Fort Wayne, Indiana. And Greg Gard was uh, very complimentary of his play in France. Yep. I think the, the deal with him, he said, and boy, this, this 
just you can you can picture just hearing what I'm about to say. I'm sure many of our listeners could just picture in their minds what this will look like on the basketball court from a guy wearing the Wisconsin uniform. He said he just seemed to have a knack for being where he needed to be the right spot at the right time. And boy, doesn't that describe Wisconsin basketball, (laughs) like never knocking you out athletically, sometimes not even knocking you out from a skill perspective, you know, not shooting particularly well, those kind of things, but you just have a knack for being in the right spot at the right time. This guy seems to have some of that. Interestingly, um, the one thing that guard was a little bit critical about is he said, yeah, he'll pretty much fire from anywhere. (laughs) But you got to believe in Wisconsin system, they will get that reined in. I just, I can't envision Wisconsin playing a guy who's just shooting with no conscience. It just doesn't make any sense. They won't let that happen. But, but they seem to be very high on him. They do think he could be an effective shooter. And if he can hit shots, they're going to play him, I suspect, because they don't have enough guys who have shown they can do that. Yeah. When you, they need, a, they need a production. Davis is a huge hole to fill, obviously. Chris Hodges, finally, he's a 6'9", 240-pound redshirt freshman. He was also impressive in the French trip, and again, he's another person competing for minutes on a depleted team. Yeah, and again, here, I think there's a little bit of rawness. He was hurt, um, missed his sen- most of his senior year in high school, and he redshirted last year at Wisconsin. So it's been a couple of years since he's actually played, but they liked the way he rebounded at both ends. Um on the French trip. Now, offensively, you know, guard said pick and roll both on offense and defense. He's got some strides to make, but as he pointed out, that's typical for their young big men. And it takes a little bit of time, but they usually come around. Uh, but I think he's probably going to have a chance at least, well, let's keep it in perspective. He's not competing against guys who have really done a great job to date when they've got chances, right? You know, Um, so there is an opportunity. I would probably bet against him leapfrogging enough guys to get significant playing time this year, but you never know. Yeah. You think at a minimum, he's going to see the court and have up, have a few chances to, if he shines, he shines, right? Maybe we'll see. I think it, I think it probably depends as much upon what older guys like Carlson, for example, do when they get their turn at bat, right. You know, right. and, and if they fail, then there may be a, a door that's opened. So what do you think the French thought when they watched uh, university of Wisconsin basketball? Do you think they were just, do you think they just were like, now we're convinced the beautiful sport is soccer. It's definitely, it's definitely right. I, yeah. It's a, it's a good question. Yeah. Uh, and I feel, I feel like looking at Wisconsin that they are sort of emblematic of the big 10 this season. You, you have a team that, Clearly was better last year. They've lost some pieces. Maybe they've gotten back to where they were last year, but probably not. And I feel like most of our discussion, and it it will continue on for the next few teams as well, are just less than what they were last year. And so you just kind of get a feel overall that the Big Ten is going to be down, which you can see why that's why everyone's making those predictions. Yeah, it, it feels that way. But of course, again, we have to keep in mind, when we talked about Wisconsin and when we talked about the next team, spoiler alert, Iowa, I expected both of them to be probably significantly worse than they actually were. And that was in part because both of them got big upside surprises 
by young players, you know, Murray at Iowa, Davis at Wisconsin. So is that possible that somebody else elevates their game in a similar fashion or similar enough? Yeah, you can't rule it out. But I would say in Wisconsin's case, I'm not expecting it. That's why I've got them eighth instead of third. You know, um, I, I do think they're not going to be record wise. I don't think they'll be quite as good as an actual team. I don't know because again, their profile was not really that great in some ways. Right. Yeah. You know, it's when you look and I was, I remember saying this all year long, like, thank God they didn't. Then I remember going on Jack Ebling show and saying, if Wisconsin, because at the time it looked like they were in prime position to win a share of the title. They didn't end up doing it. They came up just short. But I remember saying, if Wisconsin wins the Big Ten title, it will make me question everything I thought I understood about <laughs> Big Ten. And I really believe that because they just were nowhere near the caliber of team as you did any kind of analysis on them that should be in contention for a league title, but yet there they were. So I do think it is possible if, if you ask me, could Wisconsin be a better shooting team this year than they were last year? Yeah, sure. They could. It's, it's not crazy to think that Kroll could go from a guy who shot 32% to maybe 37, 38. I'm not saying he's going to do it, but could it happen? Yeah, that would not be insane. You know, could Chucky Hepburn be the guy he was over the last, say, you know, month of the season for the entire season as a shooter? Yeah, he could be. Could some of these other guys, these newcomers, come in and give them a lift? Yeah. So it's not hard for me to imagine, oh, Wisconsin, I mean, God, how could they be worse than they were from three, right? <laughs> yeah. So could they be better? Sure. Could they be a, um, a a better team from twos? They weren't even that good inside the arc last year as a team. Yeah, I could see that. Could they find their way to being better defending inside the arc? Maybe. You know, all those things are possible. And yet, I think even if they achieve all those things, it wouldn't be shocking to see them with a significantly worse record. Right. Because they got, they got lucky. I hate to... Yeah, yeah, and I hate saying that because I do think that most of the time in sport you get you are what you you are what your record says you are and you've earned it. I don't believe in luck to an excessive amount, but man, they pushed the boundary on that last season. They really did. And and I, I so I think all of those things could be true. I think they could actually be at their core maybe a little better team but not have nearly as good a record. That's why I think the fair thing to say would be, I don't expect them to be good enough to finish better than where they I've got them picked. If that makes any sense, which could still mean, I think they're a little better than they actually were last year. Absolutely. Right. And we talked about this after we looked at the review of the entire big 10 season. And one thing you talk about Wisconsin is they really remind me of the, the example with you look at run differential in baseball where if you have yes. a large run differential yes. where you know, you're minus 100 you should not have a winning record but if you win every game by 1 and lose every and lose every game by 5 you can get those disparities now Absolutely. over the course of 160 games you expect it to work itself out but it doesn't always right cuz it's nope. fluky sports uh, th are fluky that's a really good comparison yes and i think if i remember correctly and uh, because the tigers have just had such a miserable season i'm not as locked in on 
that level of statistical performance this season. But I do remember last year, Seattle being a prime example of that. Seattle, I think, just missed the playoffs, but they were right there and had a terrible run differential, had no business, you one would think, being anywhere close to being a playoff team, and yet there they were. Yeah. So you're right. Every once in a while, it happens. And I think Wisconsin last year was a classic example of what, what you're talking about. Perhaps we need a new uh, Sabre metrics and just call them Badger metrics. And there must be some other statistical analysis that we need to, f- to flesh out. Well, you know, for, for years, there used to be frustration with fans and Ken Palm because it seemed as if Ken Palm consistently rated Wisconsin much more highly than many fans thought they deserved to be because, you know, they weren't athletic. They didn't score a lot of points, et cetera. But the fact of the matter is, and, and this is something to say in their favor, last year's team um, that doesn't come down to luck. If you value the basketball, if you do not turn it over, you can do a lot of other things pretty poorly and you'll still be okay. Now, what was Wisconsin offensively? 62nd? 62nd. But you, you say 62nd and okay. you think, oh, it must be a great shooter. They're 310 and three per three point percentage, 215 and twos, but they're second in turnover percent, right? My point is for a big, for a big 10 team to be the number 62 rated offense is not great. I mean, it's not abysmal, but it doesn't mean you were a great team offensively. And let's keep in mind, they were number two in the country in turnover percentage, only one team better across the nation. So they were that good in valuing the basketball and yet only ended up the 62nd rated offense. That tells you how bad they were in most everything else. But I guess to be fair, you have to give them credit. Yeah. The free throw defense stuff really had nothing to do with them, but valuing the basketball, not beating themselves, which is a badger staple. We have seen it for 30 years almost, um, that is something that they actively did and it helped make them what they were. It helped, it helped keep them in games. If you don't beat yourself and you're consistently at least getting shots up, even if you're not hitting a lot of them, yeah, you're probably going to have a chance in many games, maybe even fair to say most games. And that is, you know, again, Wisconsin, going 12 and three in games decided by five points or less is kind of defies belief a little bit, but the fact that they had that many games that were competitive, despite not being a great team (laughs) in some ways, maybe is a sign that doing things like not making mistakes, not beating yourself, you got to give them some credit for. So if they can repeat that again and shoot the ball better and defend a little better, they might be a better team, but they probably won't be as lucky. And I find that Wisconsin basketball strikes me as a team that in general and a program that maximizes who they, they, they are everything they can be every, just about every season. Like they have, they, they don't, there's not a whole lot left that you think, Oh, if only they'd done one thing or the other, they kind of get everything out of them, right? Nine out of 10, nine out of 10 years. I would agree with that. There's the occasional year, like again, two years ago, where everything seems to add up for them being great because they're super experienced. They've already done some winning and they don't really measure up. And they've had a a handful of other seasons like that. But for the most part, I think you're absolutely right. When, when they've had okay talent, 
they've still been very competitive generally in the Big Ten and near the top of the league. On the occasional year where they've had really, really good talent, like those 14 and 15 teams, well, they got to a Final Four. Before we go, I just want to remind people, um, you know, on the site, uh, our newly established website, the acronym for the Final Four is not on the schedule. So TFFINOTS.com. Uh, we have a newly established fan forum uh, that is uh, hopping and we're getting more and more activity there, which is a great thing to see. And that's only going to increase and grow as we draw closer to the season. And we actually have real basketball events to talk about. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I encourage anybody listening who likes to uh, read and, and take part in intelligent discussions about MSU basketball, the Big Ten, the NCAA, any of those things, and who knows, maybe even a little off-topic MSU football, um, please do join us. It's free. All you have to do is register and come over and talk hoops. Yeah, be part of the community. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy being in there as well. You'll have a chance to interact with Rod and, and I a little bit more if you'd like to do that. Yeah, and it's a great it's a great place to ask questions. Sure, you know, or suggest things for the podcast. Absolutely, we've done some shows based on listener questions and, and suggestions, and I think they've been really great discussions. Of what if we've talked about the USC and UCLA and the change of the Big Ten, and I think. Those are all thanks to you, uh, listeners. And so I continue sharing the show, continue subscribing, uh, make sure you hop on over to our forum. Again, it's free. It's a great way to interact with us and interact with other Spartan fans and really get your juices going ready for the season. I'd also encourage you to get a hold of us on social media. If you're not, if you're on Twitter, make sure you hit us up at, at TFFINOTS68. You can also find us on Instagram. You can find us on YouTube if you like to listen to it on YouTube. If you're on YouTube and listening to the show, make sure you like and subscribe to the channel as well. So without further ado, I guess that should probably wrap it up for the season. We'll, we'll talk again when we talk about Iowa. Until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go Green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.